Welcome back to the PeaceWorks podcast, everyone. You know, one of the more popular segments we've done in our time together on the PeaceWorks podcast has been questions and answers. Well, I thought it might be helpful to let you know that that's a regular part of our ministry through our social media channels. In particular, our Facebook page, PeaceWorks, conducts what we call an open door at 4. Every other Thursday at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, I take time to answer uh, followers' questions. So what I'd like to do for the next couple episodes is to share some of those uh, experiences with you. So I'm just going to give you a taste of what's available through our social media channels and invite you to follow us uh, on Facebook at PeaceWorks, at Rev Chris Moles, or uh, on our Twitter um, at PeaceWorks uh, underscore CM. And just so you can be up to date on what we're doing through those channels, but then also participate in the live Q&A that we do every other Thursday. So for the next couple episodes, I'm just going to give you a couple of those. If you find those on our Facebook page, you'll see that there's hours of content right now that's completely free. And this is just a taste of that. So I hope you enjoy uh, these next couple episodes of questions and answers featured on our Open Door at four. Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. First question that came in, Today, uh, Open Door 4 COVID edition, uh, first question is, as a father, what would you teach your unmarried daughter to look for and avoid in a potential spouse? That's a that's really well, well put. Uh, red flags, etc. questions to ask, behaviors to look for, to help avoid an abusive man. Uh, well, there's a couple different things. Can you guys hold on? I'm going to put some light on the subject here. While, while I think about that question, turn my lights around. I have my lights facing the wrong way. That might help us a little bit, make things a little bit brighter or not. A uh, couple things about red flags. So, you know, one thing I found in all the years I've been working in this, in this world with this population is um, it, nobody comes in, or rarely, I shouldn't say nobody because some people do, but it's rare to have somebody come into a dating relationship and be uber abusive, right? Controlling, manipulative. There are much more subtleties in the beginning of a relationship because most relationships wouldn't last if somebody came in just being uber aggressive. So a couple of the things that I would look for, and there's actually an article Chelsea had made me aware of in, in the email even from Darby Strickland at... Let's see, what website was that? Reviveourhearts.com. And um, reviveourhearts.com. And we probably have some of the same things, but I would recommend checking out uh, Darby's list. But I would say some of the things you're looking for are um, jealousy, suspicion. I should say a lot of the guys that I've worked with over the years would admit that they are highly suspicious, uh, often justify action with jealousy, so would actually uh, use those types of um, 
behaviors um, and cite that I love you and, and so on. Isolation is one. Uh, it can seem like love and affection, but it, uh, at the end of the day, is really about power and control. So if he demands uh, all of your attention, if he restricts your access to family, if he never wants to go places with other people or rarely, unless he has control or it's his friends, I think those are some things that you should consider. Intensity, uh, people can use the word passion, uh, but sometimes uh, the behavior can be so intense, it can be a red flag to consider. So, you know, anything in the aspect of control and... Um, or self-control. I think those are the balance, right? Does he control situations, circumstances, outcomes, and people, in particular me? Or um, does he lack aspects of self-control? Those would be big red flags. And some of the things, I don't have daughters, full disclosure, I have sons. So some of the things that I would be preaching, I think, um, would really be high standards um, when it comes to aspects of self-control value, um, how he treats people, uh, those types of things. But I would recommend uh, Darby's list as a good start. And then also, we probably have some overlap. For me, it's aspects of control, isolation, intensity, uh, intimidation, uh, those types of uh, manipulation hidden in affection. Those are some of the things I would be, I would be working through. Uh, some of the comments bounced on me there. Um, yeah, Jen, that's what I was getting at. I mean, most folks are are not going to, they're going to see that overt action for what it is. Uh, and yes, je jealousy sometimes comes off as love. And, and that's one of the things too, might be helpful if you're talking about a parenting situation, is similar to um, people who work at the bank. Right, that's the whole idea of how how do you know to spot counterfeit bills? Well, you have to know the original. So if you really have a clear picture of what biblical love is, and that's something we're failing, we're failing young people on that, quite frankly, because we don't practice it ourselves. So being able to clearly define and articulate what the real thing is can give you a better handle on understanding the counterfeit. Uh, next question and. This looks like one question. It's a, it's a longer paragraph, but I think this is it for the email. So if you have a question, put that in the comments, and I'll, I'll try to get to that. Questioner says, my pastor follows your program and has just started using it with my violent, abusive husband. So quick disclosure, I'm not sure what program is being referred to. Um, I do have a book on the subject, and so maybe it's kind of my philosophy of things. My husband has been violent with me many times, has stalked me after we separated. He beat me while pregnant and has assaulted me multiple times in front of the kids. So, of course, the, the questioner goes on to say that the kids are traumatized, uh, that they've witnessed this. Uh, per police urging, so she has contacted the police, which is great. I found a PPO, that's a personal protection order. Different states have different initials, right? So DVPOs or SPOs, PSOs, whatever. Um, uh, this is a PPO, personal protection order. But then I got schooled in 1 Corinthians 6, using the court system instead of the church. Oh, so 1 Corinthians 6, not taking your brother to court. Um, so I guess the church, sounds like the church is saying that you should seek to resolve things in the church rather than using the courts. 
Problem is my church hasn't been giving me proper help or situation, but things have only gotten worse uh, with their help, not better. Then there's a couple questions. First, let me just push the pause button. Uh, I'm, I'm actually okay with church-based interventions for conflict. But just to note, if the questioner is watching, what you've described is not conflict. It's not a mutual disagreement between two parties. What you've described is one person using power to control and harm another. And, and so that's very different than saying going to the courts to reconcile a property dispute or um, a, a payment of a bill or you know a loan that someone gave you. So there is uh, conciliation measures that can be taken from inside the church. I don't think that Paul is talking specifically about criminal activity. Now, I could be wrong. I guess Paul could be referencing criminal activity, but I, I don't think that he is in 1 Corinthians 6. So for me, if you've been, and let's just go through the list, all right, real quick. So at this point, you said you, you were beaten while pregnant. You were stalked. Um, you have been violated violently many times. This has occurred in front of the children, which in some states is considered uh, abuse and neglect. And you filed a PPO, personal protection order. Now, for those of you who don't know the dynamics of protection orders, so nothing has been criminally charged yet. And so that is where uh, it, it might be fuzzy for the church, although I don't think it should be. Nothing has been filed criminally yet. What, what this individual has done through the police's urging is she, had, she has filed a restraining order, basically, on her husband through the civil court. Now, if he breaks that, so if he comes within a certain distance of her, he tries to contact her unlawfully, then he can be charged with a violation of a protection order, and that could be probably, I'm guessing that would be a misdemeanor, but it would be a criminal offense. Then he could be criminally charged. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just kind of talking from my experience on this and what I'm assuming is going to happen. I bring that up because um, the idea that this should be handled exclusively in the church, I think, is problematic. And I'm a fan of church-based intervention. But when we've crossed over this line of um, needing assistance from the state, which I agree with, and I think you can use Romans 12 and Romans 13 to get there easily, all right? Uh, the church really should be supportive of this PPO and absolutely following the instructions and working in harmony or partnership with the PPO. So let's there's specific questions. That's the story. Here's the specific questions. Number one, what is your, st your stance on getting magistrates involved? Uh, quite frankly, I'm for it. I think Romans 12 tells us that as brand new people, people who think differently than the world, we are to live at peace with everyone. So think about Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? We're no, longer trans we're no longer conformed to the pattern of the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we're thinking differently than the world. We have a unique perspective. I think Paul then shows us that you, that unique perspective is peace. And so Christians are called to peace. So we overcome evil with good, right? We don't respond with evil, you know, evil with evil. There are some things, however, that require a wrathful or forceful response. 
He frees us from that and gives that to the government, according to Romans 13, which, in which he says, you know, they're an agent of God's wrath. And so I think there is a balance between living as people of peace, which we want to be, but then also the kingdom of the world being the bearers of the sword. And so what I mean by that is there is a time in which we need to appeal, just like Paul appealed to his Roman citizenship, in which we appeal to those who carry the sword uh, to enact justice. And their justice is imperfect. Their justice is coming from a tainted or a sinful perspective, a kingdom of the world perspective, but nonetheless placed there by God um, for, for us in many ways. And I think that's where the PPO comes in. So my stance on using magistrates is absolutely. That's why they're there. I do not have the authority as a pastor or a Christian to physically or coercively restrain your partner. I don't have access to that material. We don't have jails in our churches. I, and it is ineffective for me as a Christian to bully the bully. Therefore, there are times in which we appeal to those above us to do that work that God's entrusted them. So you're asking about, and it sounds like your church is opposing this, and I think the problem might be that the church is viewing your abuse as a mutual conflict to be resolved. And what we're saying is abuse is not mutual. It is one person dominating another. And when it gets to the level of needing help, one of the places we can appeal for help is to the state. And there are things that law enforcement and the courts can do that I as a pastor cannot. Vice versa, there are things that I as a pastor can do that the courts cannot. Because let's face it, the sword doesn't change hearts. It only changes behavior. But when you're in danger, you need behavior changed and you need it now. So I'm for you and the PPO. If that's what you need to do to stay safe, then I encourage you in that. I think the magistrate, if the magistrate granted it, it's because he or she saw the danger that you're in. And now there is a level of protection, albeit a piece of paper, but it is somewhat of a protection. If he violates that, then there is criminality. And that's all the more reason for the church to be supportive. So I am all for the approach that you've taken. So um, I don't know how else to be more, more supportive. Um, what do you, the next part of the question says, what do you teach counselors to do when their spouse they're working with is physically violent? So one of the things that I train folks to do, and I can't be exhaustive here, so I can't, I can't just give you everything because we don't have the time. But one of the things that, um, that I do is we want our care to be Christocentric and victim focused. And so I want my care to be centered on the person of Jesus, but focused on the victim. So whether this person's a victim of emotional, mental, psychological, spiritual, or physical abuse, any interaction that the church or the counselors or the pastors have with the abuser, the perpetrator, the offender, is under the, the knowledge and the realization that they're representing or they're um, working for the victim. Meaning, even if I'm working with an offender, my primary client or counselee is the victim, right? And so when I train counselors, uh, biblical counselors in particular, that's what I want them to see. Now, physical violence is a reality in every abusive relationship, whether it's been present or not. 
because if you reference, say, the power and control wheel, which is kind of the standard uh, from the Duluth Abuse Intervention Project, you'll see that as it rests on the hub of the or the rim of the wheel, the idea is that physical and sexual violence hold everything together. Other forms of domestic abuse are effective in large part because physical violence is always a threat. Now, when physical violence has occurred, then what I train my counselors to do, uh, if they can, is to offer hope and resource to the victim because it is the victim who gets to decide uh, what we do next in a lot of ways. Now, granted, if I witness physical violence, if I see my neighbor beating his wife, I will call the authorities. That's the best way to intervene at that moment. But if I get a disclosure of physical violence, uh, one thing I want to do is evaluate the risk. Is there a risk of lethality? Is there a risk to immediate safety? And I want to resource appropriately. But I don't know what the safest next step is for a victim in general. It depends upon the, the situation. Sometimes the safest thing may be to stay in the relationship. I don't know. The victim knows much more than I do. And I'll wrap it up with this because this is how, what I do tell my counselors. I'm the dumbest person in the room. She knows more than I know, and the Holy Spirit knows more than both of us. So I want to be a listener and uh, a responder, a resource. And then lastly, how do you help, how do I help my children break this generational curse of relational abuse? Um, setting a good example, um, setting a really clear standard, going back to the counterfeit versus authentic conversation, um, standing on truth is helpful. There's no guarantee. I believe that abuse is a learned behavior. I think people either learn it through modeling, they've seen it happen, or they learn it through trial and error, right? They try it out and it works. Abuse is effective at getting you what you want. It's just an evil means to do so. Um, that is coercion. I think that's one of the big misses in the Christian church today. I think we see power, control, force, and violence as acceptable in some ways because it gets us what we want. Um, it, that's true. It gets us what we want, but it doesn't get it the right way. And uh, that's true with learning abuse. So uh, there's no guarantee that any of our children will not struggle with this in the future, whether they've seen it or not, because it can be learned through trial and error because of its effectiveness. Uh, but some of the things we can do is to set a high standard to talk about it, to be very honest about uh, what it looks like to have a level of compassion for those who are suffering and then a level of uh, understanding when it comes to those who perpetrate it. Um, another question coming in in the comments. and please Be sure to put more questions in the comments. I'm going to spend about 10 or 15 more minutes here and then I'm going to have to run. In state of abuse, is that still considered a brother? What about the fruits that are lacking? Could a brother or Christian do these acts? That's a great question. That's, this is going to sound awful, but that's somewhat above my pay grade. I know there are some people who are like, yes, any act of abuse means you're a non-believer. Uh, and that may very well be the case. I think somebody who's trapped in a habitual pattern of abuse is obviously doing things completely anti-Christ. I wouldn't put the label of Christian on them. Uh, but I try not to say yay or nay, unless, of course, it's a, an ecclesiological re relationship where you have to make, do church discipline. But uh, certainly this doesn't seem like a believer. I think I was making the point with the 1 Corinthians 6 argument is, is abuse even a category that 1 Corinthians 6 uh, refers to? 
That I don't know. But certainly if you go to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, that'd be the same logic we use when we talk about divorce. I mean, can the church realistically and responsibly after uncovering and, and uh, validating and supporting the victim and uncovering the abuse, can they realistically and responsibly say, this person's not a believer and therefore she's free to go because we're called to peace? Uh, I think those are realistic conversations that we can have. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, any other questions? I am on the PeaceWorks page, so I don't know if I can see questions from anywhere else that are coming up. Uh, from any of the shares that have happened, but if there's any other questions uh, regarding abuse and, and the church and the gospel, I'd be happy to give it a shot. So feel free to put those in the uh, comments, and I'll be happy to address it. It's, I mean, those are some great questions so far, so I appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, we got a couple things. Let's see, Jen, I think anyone who's trapped in sin is in the same boat. I really am always so dumbfounded that these guys don't really even know they're abusive. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes people are very overt about it, Jen, but yeah, sometimes that is the case. There's a blindness to sin, uh, and certainly when it comes to oppression, people in power uh, tend to view themselves as entitled, right? So um, it's just a natural thing, seemingly natural, I should say. Uh, this is strange obliviousness, uh, people don't understand, but we do with a lot of sins. Yep, someone has to show you your sin, and that's true. Sometimes you need somebody who's kind enough and loving enough to come alongside and point out your sin. Um, Grace gives us a, a scripture. There's a lot going on here. Sorry, Grace. Oh, yeah, Malachi 2. So, um the divorce passage, I would say this particular passage, if anybody's interested, uh, contextually, Grace has given us the whole context, which helps. Because if you don't have the whole con context, you're going to misinterpret, which it has been misinterpreted so many times over the years because we haven't seen the passage about being about treachery and how one treats one's wife. Uh, rather, we've seen it to be about divorce, which uh, the centrality of the passage isn't about divorce. He says confidently, but I am pretty confident in that. Um, yes, David, repentance is the fruit of faith. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7 that godly sorrow right, produces repentance. And so those two things go hand in hand. And Jen says, that's my, been my biggest issue is the behavior was so normal to the abuser that they don't even realize it. And I have to really be specific about examples. Yeah, I would say too, Jen, and this, I don't know if this applies to you or not. It applies to a lot of people. I have found that uh, victims of abuse tend to remember specifics. Abusers themselves do not remember specifics, per, per se. It takes a little while. I think sometimes they do. But what I find that a, a, a perpetrators of abuse tend to remember what they were feeling. Um, that's an interesting discussion that we have quite a bit. Is what I was feeling... And I'm like, I didn't ask you what you were feeling. I asked you what you did. Like, what did you choose to do? Uh, and that feeling language can be rational, can be a, a rationale. Like, rationalizing can be justifying to say, well, I was feeling angry, so therefore I didn't have a choice. Or I was feeling disappointed or hurt, as opposed to even though I'm feeling a certain way, I still have responsibility. 
<laughs> you are welcome for sure. All right, man, this time is flying by. Anything else uh, you guys have that you would uh, like to ask? I'll be happy to to answer. If um, if this is beneficial to you, and we do this twice a month on Thursdays uh, with our open door at four, if if you if you think this is good, you should try PeaceWorks University. Here's the commercial. Um, if you benefit from this time, you know every month in PeaceWorks University, that's our online membership site. Uh, we do this uh, for an hour. The questions are much more detailed, much more case specific, and I find it to be a great opportunity for people helpers. So if you're not part of PeaceWorks University, please consider uh, please consider joining us there uh, in um, in the membership site. You can find out more about that at chrismoles.org. That's been um, surprising to me. I mean, when we started the membership site, it was in many ways to try to save on uh, some of the workload. Things were getting a bit overwhelming. We were trying to find a way to really meet needs um, uh, passively to some degree, to be honest with you. And um, yes, Grace, PeaceWorks University is for people helpers, if that's what you're referring to. We have about 160 uh, members in there right now, uh, and they range from counselors and pastors and advocates and people helpers, survivors, victims, and uh, past perpetrators who are involved in ministry as well. Uh, but we started PeaceWorks University just as a means to, to meet some of that demand, and it has been a blessing to me. Um, and we have new resources every month. There are just hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of resources there uh, about domestic abuse and the gospel. And again, like this, we spend an hour every month having this conversation. So if this is beneficial to you, be sure to can check out PeaceWorks University. It is behind a paywall, so it does have a subscription fee. I jokingly call it the Netflix of for people helpers, but it uh, just contains... Uh, a lot, a lot of resources and great conversations. Yeah, yeah, Men of Peace is our, uh, Grace is our online coaching program for men. We're actually in the term right now. We started that, this is week three. I was just doing some interaction. I had some health issues early this week and I'm a little behind on the work, but I was just interacting with some guys in the forum today, looking at some homework. The largest group we've ever tried to facilitate uh, in Men of Peace, and so far, so good. It's very different uh, for us in some ways, and uh, at the same time, it's there's some really rewarding things happening in there as well. So, yeah, and hopefully I was just working on a project today, Grace. We hope to be able to delineate a little better exactly what products and services that we offer at PeaceWorks. That is, uh, for lack of a better word, how we pay the bills, is we don't take... Um, we don't take donations. Uh, we really recommend folks, if they want to donate to ministry, to donate to our friends at Call to Peace. Um, and we try to pay the bills and keep the lights on and uh, do the work that we do through uh, service-based and product-based um, services. So right now we have PeaceWorks University, which is the membership site, which at present the rate is $20 a month or $200 for the year. Uh, we also offer Men of Peace, which is our online coaching program, once a year. And that has just started, so that will not open up again until 
the spring. And then we are also working on, we have some courses uh, as well, but we're also working on um, some signature item, a signature item that we think everything can kind of surround so that we can be a little bit more clear about the services that we offer and provide the, the best resources and match them with the people that need them. Thank you, uh, David, for the commercial uh, about PeaceWorks University. We're really thankful that uh, you guys are in there and you're valued members of the, the community for sure. Cool. Well, it is 4.29. I will watch the comments for a little while longer before I retreat. We're going to head to a drive-by birthday party here in a little bit. That's pretty exciting. Um, it is a different time, is it not? I have learned so much about um, our church in a good way. Our church has responded, I think, very well to the, the quarantine, but also a bit about myself and ministry. And as you can uh, imagine, I've also learned that this is among the most dangerous times in history for victims of domestic abuse and domestic violence as the quarantine and the safety precautions in many homes are creating additional isolation uh, with additional stress. So let's be praying for those victims as well that are um, trapped, for lack of a better word, for sure.